0: I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark again. We return to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. You may recall the last time we were here, we were uh, finished through Mark, chapter uh, 1, 1, verse 11. I'll be backing up, though, and reading from verse 1 through verse 20. Mark, chapter 1, at verse 1 through verse 20. Listen, this is God's Word. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when He came up out of the water, immediately He saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Well, most of you, I trust, are familiar with the Latin phrase, a pluribus unum, out of many, one. It's a traditional motto of the country, and you might see it on coins or flags or the great seal. And the thought, of course, is that while the nation is made up of a great variety of many people and many smaller units, this is we are one. One. There's a sense in which the story of the Bible is the opposite of that, out of one, many. Out of one, many. You see, the story begins with one, Adam, the one man. And then there's a do-over with another one, Noah. And then there's another do-over with the one man, Abraham. In each case, the goal was to populate and to fill the earth God had made with worshipers of that one true God who had made the earth, led by that man, that representative man, who in the image of God was to reign and to rule and to have dominion, exercise dominion over the world in true righteousness and holiness and justice, both resisting and suppressing the forces of evil in the world. Also that this great grand population might enjoy the presence of God in fellowship with God and with each other. And so the story of the Old Testament is the telling and the retelling of the unfolding of God's mission and ministry on earth through a representative man and his offspring. And in every case, we, we, we have this imagination of a, of a hopeful beginning. It seems promising, but then quickly the plan begins to unravel, and, and they never really enjoy the kind of success God seems to have promised and so the opening verses of the Gospel of Mark are, as Mark writes, the announcement of good news of God. The Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God is going to try again, but this time, as we will come to find out, the plan succeeds. God accomplishes His mission, and He's doing it through the one representative of God, all humanity, His own divine Son. And we saw last time Mark just dives completely and right into the story of the summary of the ministry of John the Baptist. His announcing of the impending arrival of the Savior with a kind of national baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And all this in fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah who said that there is a coming Messiah Savior and there's one who will come just before Him to prepare the way for Him. One who's going to announce His arrival. And so when we pick up the story at verse 9, Jesus emerges from the waters of the Jordan River. The heavens are torn open. The Holy Spirit descends on Him As a dove, he hears the voice of his father from heaven saying, You are my son, the one I love. With you I am well pleased. At that moment, as Mark is telling the story, the spotlight shines on the one man. You remember just before this, great crowds from Jerusalem and Judea had been coming to the Jordan. There's no picture of them anymore as the focus is entirely on the Son. And as Jesus enters and then emerges from the Jordan River, He is that representative man who's identifying with us in our sins, taking on a baptism for the forgiveness of sins that He has not and will not commit. And He's setting Himself to the task for which He had been sent. That is to inaugurate a new creation, a new exodus, to call to Himself a new humanity for God. And He goes with the affirmation of the Father, You are my Son I love. I am pleased with You. And He goes with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, consecrated, set apart from ministry, but empowered for His service by the third person of the Trinity, as he is confirmed in his identity as the Son of God. And so this morning we take up the next three distinct episodes in the story as they're described by Mark. And all three of them are, are designed to move the story along to convince and persuade us that God has come in His Son. And God's purposes have never failed, but have always been turning and funneling into this one great grand appearance of His eternal Son in time, in the flesh, to do what the others could not. As we hear these three episodes in the story, we're designed, they are designed to draw out of us a response. That is, that we would give thanks and praise to God for fulfilling His promises in the sending of His Son. But more than that, to follow His Son, Jesus, the one who has come to rule and to reign over a new and growing kingdom of worshipers of which we are. First of the three phases of the story, developments in this story, has Jesus being driven out into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. We've heard this story from the other Gospels a few times, I'm sure most of us in our lifetime. And we hear it and we know how it turns out. But if you think about it again and maybe afresh, think about the significance of this moment mark doesn't give us a description of the details of each of the uh, acts of temptation as it were that we get in the other gospels rather he gives us this, a very abbreviated account but this is to our recorded uh, memory the first of many exposures to encounters with satan that Jesus will have over the rest of his lifetime here on earth. And Mark sums this up rather succinctly. Jesus is driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit. He's there for 40 days. He's tempted by Satan. He's with the wild animals and angels are ministering to Him. And in these two short verses, we have a coming together again. At least we ought to be reminded of those two previous stories, the stories of both Adam and Israel. When Adam was in the garden in the most pristine conditions, where he had demonstrated his dominion over the animals in having them paraded before him and and providing order and structure and naming them, Adam, when faced by Satan, when tempted to rebel against God, failed entirely and miserably. You remember, he and his wife Eve were driven from the garden, driven into the wilderness. They were driven into the wild creation where they went to face the death promised to them as a consequence of their sin, where they lost the blissful face-to-face fellowship with God they had once enjoyed and where it would even become painful, and difficult to master dominion over the earth and even to fill it." Take a little detour here and remember that God started over with Noah and his family. He saved them from the waters of His judgment in the ark. But not long after that, all humanity rose up together as one against God in building this tower that would reach the heavens. God came down and in an act of judgment He scattered them and He created in that act all the nationalities and the languages of the world. But then God comes down to one of those nations and to one man, Abraham. Another new beginning. Another fresh set of promises. And he tells Abraham he's going to make out of him a new great nation. And they will be worshipers who will possess the land and who will fill it and will live in peace and prosperity and who will worship God. And out of them all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. Fast forward years later that One man, Abraham, becomes a great nation, in number at least, but they're not in the land, and they are are instead subjected to slavery in Egypt. And God sends Moses, and, and He rescues them. He takes them through the Red Sea, where Pharaoh and his armies are drowned. He gathers them at the mountain, where Moses receives the law of God after fasting for 40 days, and where the nation is constituted as a nation, and where they're called by God to go and inherit the land He is going to give them, to enjoy their unique relationship with Him, and they're to go in His name and for His sake to establish the reign and rule of God on earth. And they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They were tested. They were without bread and water. They grumbled against God, doubted His ability to carry them across the finish line. And they grumbled with God when He gave them bread every day. Finally, they crossed the Jordan River. They set foot on dry ground of this new land God is giving them. But it wasn't long before they were drawn to the gods of the nations they had been there to dispossess. And so even though they were led by a king and received God's word through the mouth of the prophets and were oriented toward the temple and the sacrifices of the priests were making on their behalf in Jerusalem, with all that, they reject God and like Adam and Eve before them are expelled from the land. And so for Jesus, being driven into the wilderness is a kind of reenactment of the stories of Adam and of Israel. The wild animals who are only mentioned here in Mark do not harm him. And since Mark has Isaiah in the memory bank, this could well be a hint of Isaiah chapter 11 or a few other places where we read something like this, "...there shall come forth a a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit." And the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and of might. The spirit Spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And just a few verses later, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion, the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. Jesus, driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit tempted by the devil for 40 days with the wild animals who do not harm him, ministered to by the angels. Again, we might be reminded of God's promises to Moses as they were leaving Mount Sinai, as they were entering the wilderness. He said, behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Exodus 23, 20. And again, this is why the opening words of the Gospel of Mark, that the arrival of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is such good news. Adam couldn't do it. Israel failed. So far, so good for Jesus. Jesus. He's come through the temptations in the wilderness. He survived the wild animals, the angels of God ministered to him. Where Adam and Israel fails, uh, fail, rather, he succeeds. So Mark moves the story along in verses 14 to 15, the second uh, little episode here, which is simply a kind of summary of Jesus's public ministry, but it demonstrates his self-awareness on the part of Jesus, of what is all taking place. Notice the timing. John the Baptist leaves, Jesus arrives. John is put in prison. We again would have to go to other gospels, uh, the other Gospels to hear more about his end. But here Mark simply, John is arrested, Jesus came. John who had in verse 4 proclaimed the baptism for the repentance for the forgiveness of sins we learn we'll pay for his preaching with his head. But he's now surpassed by Jesus. And Mark will just press on, verses 14 and 15, we get this other summary of the ministry and mission of God through Jesus Christ, His Son. And notice how Mark describes it. Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. Verse 14, That is, the good news introduced in the garden and announced and predicted, but that had for thousands of years been unfolding, has arrived, is fulfilled. And the good news, of course, is Jesus Christ himself. After all this time, it's time. It's time for the happy arrival of the kingdom of God in the person of His Son. The Old Testament is a kind of uh, thousands of years of a seemingly endless countdown, the ball slowly dropping but never reaching the bottom until now, until Jesus arrives. And there will be global implications to this radical event, Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. This is the message on which this new humanity he is coming to gather into form will be based. This is what they will need to embrace. A repenting of sin and by believing in Jesus who is the gospel. And the Jesus we will come to know even better as we work our way through the Gospel of Mark. A Jesus who will only and always be obedient to the Father, even to the point of death on a cross. And who will always and only in the power of the Spirit who came upon Him in His baptism be raised and live the... Endless life, earning for us a salvation we could not earn for ourselves. An indestructible life, conquering sin and Satan, resisting temptation, overturning a verdict of guilt, unending or overturning the judgment of death, and enabling us to have full fellowship with God. And with each other. So what are we now? We're a, a new humanity of true worshipers who will become a multitude of people no one will be able to number from every tribe and tongue and nation around the world filling a new heavens and a new earth over which Jesus will reign forever and ever. The time is fulfilled. This may have something to do with Mark's propensity to use the word immediately. Every story in Mark is immediately, we'll race through the gospel, this happens, and then that happens, and immediately after that, that happens. Mark is concerned about the fulfillment of time. And that's how he tells a story. But notice Jesus doesn't do his work alone. Jesus is going to establish a new community. He's going to call and gather and build and grow and nurture and feed a new people, soon to be called the church. And He's going to do it from heaven by the power of His Spirit who applies the Word. And He's going to do it through Messengers, disciples, followers, eyewitnesses to everything he will do and say. And he's going to build his church through a long chain of successors. And he's going to build his church through the witness and the testimony of followers and disciples like you. Made alive, empowered by the same Spirit to proclaim the same message, to repent and believe the same gospel which is the same Jesus. And this is how it begins for Mark in verses 16 through 20, the third of the three stories. Jesus begins, Jesus of Nazareth, not in Jerusalem or Judea, but alongside the Sea of Galilee to the north. He sees Simon. We will later come to know him as Peter, Mark's good friend and probably the source of Mark's gospel. And he meets Andrew, who is described as Simon's brother. It's just another day for them. They're fishing from the shore, throwing the net into the water. It's what they do. And Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of people. We couldn't possibly know what they knew at this point about Jesus. And we couldn't possibly know what they would have understood by this new calling, this new occupation. They'll find out. They'll find out in time. And we have the Gospel of Mark, and we have the message of the rest of the New Testament, and we have our own testimony sitting here today of what this means. They're going to come to understand this so much more, and here all we're told is they immediately left their nets and followed Him. And just a little later on, He sees James, Jesus sees James, uh, son of Zebedee and John, his brother mending nets in their boats, also fishermen, similarly engaged in their work. And he calls to them, and they leave their father in the boat, along with the hired help, and they follow him. And again, with an economy of words, we have Mark describing Jesus beginning to build his kingdom. Out of one, many. Jesus calls them to follow Him. Four men, two sets of brothers, and they do. They leave behind all that they know, their vocations, their source of livelihood. And in the case of James and John, they leave behind their father, their family, all to follow Jesus. Jesus and here are these four disciples soon to be joined by eight others men who will represent the 12 tribes of Israel will follow Jesus and they'll learn on the fly there will be times in the gospel of mark when it will seem like the disciples are as blind and as dim-witted as the rest of the people and as the leaders of the people. But they're going to follow. and They're going to watch and listen and learn. They're going to have their eyes opened and their understanding made bright when they see and hear the resurrected Christ. And when they are empowered by the same Spirit who comes on them as John the Baptist had promised Jesus would do, the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit by whom Jesus is conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Spirit who comes upon him at his baptism, who empowers him in his ministry, that same Spirit who raises him from the dead will now descend on these disciples. And they will turn the world upside down. Because of the good news of God in His Son, Jesus Christ, crucified, raised, ascended to glory. And it is to these men Jesus gives the glorious mission of gathering in men and women and children like a fisherman gathers in fish in the net, at least like a good fisherman does. The Son of God enters the world and He's heralded as the long-awaited Messiah and Savior. He's the good news of God and who will in the power of the Spirit and in the affirmation of the Father do God's will, which is to fill the new heavens and the new earth with a mass of humanity, worshipers of God, free and unencumbered and unmolested by sin and evil, to enjoy fellowship and communion with God and with each other. It's a new day, a new year, a new era. The ball dropped. Jesus has come. And the amazing thing is, here we are all these years later, and you who are actually a part of the story. You have heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You have confessed your sins and put your faith and trust in Him. You are gathered as part of this new humanity, repopulating a world that will be made new and fresh, will be free from sin and Satan, because Satan is destroyed. By this new king It's a new day A new era And you're a part of it Give thanks to God For fulfilling his promises finally And follow his son Let's pray Lord Jesus thank you for coming Thank you for demonstrating Your power For For Resting in the power of the Spirit, enduring temptation in the wilderness, resisting sin, being faithful and obedient at every stretch, for calling disciples, empowering them with the same spirit that they might preach and proclaim the good news of your own death and resurrection. Thank you for coming and gathering to yourself a new community. Thank you, Lord, for your church, made up of people from every tribe and tongue and from every era and generation in history. We marvel, our God, at your plan, long predicted, come to expression in Jesus now, becoming full as you gather to yourself people who will drop everything to follow your Son. Lord, receive our thanks, encourage our hearts, and make us ever faithful to follow Christ. We pray it all in His name. And we all say together, amen.